0: Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We tape our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support effective communication options and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work, we understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank, Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Ashner LaFayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Ashner LaFayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities and being further committed to health and wellness. Ashner LaFayette General together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Our guest today is Scott Angel, the nation's longest serving director of the U.S. Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement from 2017 through 2020. Scott also held positions in Louisiana, including Secretary of the Department of Natural Resources from 2004 to 2012 and Lieutenant Governor in 2010. He served as an elected member from District 2 on the Public Service Commission. He's been a member of the LSU Board of Supervisors and chaired Louisiana's Water Resources Commission. Scott got his start early in politics as a police jury member in St. Martin Parish and he also served as their first parish president. We're here today to discuss Scott's current focus, which is balancing the three E's, environment, energy, and economy. And I've learned we're also celebrating National Fishing Day. So Scott can talk to us both about offshore fishing and U.S. offshore energy. Scott Angel, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Discover Lafayette.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jan. Good to see you. And thank you for the amazing things that you are doing, uh, speaking truth to power and sending the message out there. Well, thank you. We
0: met uh, when I was working with Upper Lafayette Economic Development. And some of my most favorite memories were when you came and spoke to us you've always brought up a passion and and i hate to say energy that sounds like a pun but you bring this bigger than life energy to what you do and you've been a proponent of what makes our state so special
1: well that's very kind look at the end of the day i think there's two things that wake us up in the morning one of them is a cup of coffee and (laughs) the other one is hope right yeah and i just choose to uh to, to, to be a person, uh, you know, raised in an amazing family of high spirited, always feeling the glass was half full rather than half empty. Yeah. And so uh, excited about being with people, getting my energy from people as opposed to getting my energy from paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes to be smart, you gotta use the paper to get to the people, right? Uh, But it's always uh, great to be around people and share stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. So family is important to you. Before we get started on your current uh, adventure, when you spoke to our group before, you'd always talk about family, and I almost felt bad for your wife because I know she's like a part of a lot of your, you know, the tales that you share. But family is important to you. You come from a large family. Your dad was well-known. If you want to just tell people that may not know your whole story about growing up. Yeah, you know... um,
1: went South Louisiana, right? just families everything mm-hmm. and um, and you know we were lucky in our family to have a great set of parents. you know I, I tell my children um, that the number one thing that impacts your life is the set of parents that you're born to, and yet you have no choice in that matter right and so uh you know, to those who have uh, a, a really great opportunity, there becomes great responsibility to help improve the world. Right. And we, we were always taught that our community was a reflection of our own individual efforts. Uh, so, you know, five sisters, three brothers, <laughs> uh, a lot of dysfunction. I mean, you know, when we got all 11 of us, mom and dad and the nine kids at a table, that's 22 feet under the kitchen table. <laughs> So, you know, you got there early, so you yeah. learn yeah. you learn what getting there early was to get, the dinner table. Get the chicken leg. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> A sense of urgency about everything. Uh, and what was pretty cool is even back then, you know, today, look, I understand norms are changing uh, or views are changing. But back then, uh, you know, my five sisters were given the opportunity to do whatever they wanted, whatever yeah. careers they wanted. They were encouraged, you know, they were they were not told that they had to go into those careers that, that were primary, school. exactly, they, yeah. they could do anything. And they they professionals and they, you know, educated. And mom and dad, you know, again, this is way back before uh, some of the more modern thinking. And then of course, mom and dad owned a Ford dealership in a small town. And when you own a business, a retail business in a small town, everybody that comes through the showroom door is important. Right. You don't have the luxury of saying, well, we don't like those people or we treat those people with disrespect. Mm-hmm. And I think took some of those lessons. And, uh, you know, there's room in government. Mm-hmm. There's room in government, as you know, for uh, those virtues to be to be lived. So it was, it, 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 I was lucky. I got a good opportunity. Uh, and so thanks for asking
0: about yeah. the family. Were you always vivacious? Were you always you know, outgoing? You you, you, know, didn't, I, you didn't just come up with this when you, when you got when, out of high school. When you huh?
1: raised around a guy like Fred Mills, <laughs> uh, you, better, you better find some, something or otherwise you get left behind, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, probably I would say, I, my wife would say, rather than vivacious, she would probably say, he's more loud than anything. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and People again, knew where
0: you were in the yeah,
1: room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. So, so uh, but yeah, just, uh, it was fun. Right. For sure. Well,
0: let's jump into what you're doing. I love this—the purpose of three E's: environment, energy, and economy. So here we are in Louisiana. You know, obviously, the environment is a a real concern. Losing our coast, uh, whether or not you believe in global warming, we're experiencing all kinds of issues. The energy industry is in an upheaval. And then the economy, right? You know, we've got we've got challenges here, but this is also our future. Absolutely, the environment, energy, and the economy.
1: So when I kind of think of it um, and 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 look at history, I think it's important to see where we are. In that one of the I call these things the three E's: energy, environment, and economy. Heretofore, energy has kind of been thought of as a red state issue. Mm-hmm. Environment has been thought, thought of as a blue state issue. And the third E that we kind of introduced into this conversation is a purple issue. And that is the economy that affects everybody. Right. And. Um, you know, I, I happen like to that. believe I happen to believe that our children will have energy from a variety of different sources that perhaps we didn't have. And mm-hmm. I think that's good. I think mm-hmm. it's OK. Um I think, however, that, and I do, I, I do subscribe to the, to the theory that we need to take care of our planet, right? Um, I think that those things are not incompatible with one another. Mm-hmm. And so that's why uh, I've introduced, uh, I, I think, a new umbrella message. And that umbrella message is the balance of the three E's. The word balance is perhaps one of the most positive words in the dictionary. You've never used the word balance In a negative way, you balance your checkbook, your work-life balance. Uh, If people who, you know, nobody goes around and says, you know, that person is, he's too well balanced. Yeah. You know, maybe the other way, right? Right. So it's one of the most positive words, and it's something that we can all, I think, aspire to. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the economy is so important in this conversation, Jan, is to recognize that from 1973 to 2019, We've had six recessions in this country, and each one of those recessions were preceded by a spike in energy prices. As goes America's access to affordable, not cheap, but affordable energy, Mm -hmm. so goes America's economic performance. I've done research. We sell more cars in America when we have flat energy prices. We build more homes in America when we have flat energy prices. Our economy performs better Mm -hmm. when we have flat energy prices. In order to be able to, 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 to make sure that we have affordable energy, we have to have access to the resource, right? And of course, the Gulf of Mexico, where I was the chief regulator for the country for the last four years, uh, is an incredible province. And when you take a look at the metrics, the metrics uh, actually are so impressive. You know, we don't cut any trees down when we, when we drill fall and in, in, in offshore. offshore since 2017 we haven't had a single uh, sea uh, marine mammal or sea turtle fatality from exploration of ENP we respect marine life um, and the carbon intensity of the production that comes out of the Gulf of Mexico is the second lowest only ex- only only uh, uh, perhaps exceeded by uh, Saudi Arabia,
0: the carbon, the carbon intensity intensity
1: of the, the barrels of production that come out of the Gulf of Mexico. What does that mean? Well, when you take a look at, you know, the, the, the impacts of drilling production, and you put all all, it all together, the, every province is going to have a carbon intensity rating and the Gulf of Mexico is really, really good. So in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, and this is an incredible observation, that we could use more, not less, Gulf of Mexico oil. Mm-hmm. And we always knew that would be good for our economy, right? For right. the jobs here. But we got a new proposition, and that new proposition is more, not less, Gulf of Mexico oil is actually better for Mother Earth. So at the same time, we're working on our economy by creating jobs here, mm-hmm. domestic access to domestic resources. Right. At the same time, we can improve the quality of the planet by substituting foreign sourced oil that has a higher intensity carbon intensity for more
0: Gulf of Mexico oil and remain independent. And we, I just I mean, That's it's, what worries it's, right, me. it's
1: checking every box. It's it's not yeah. So so you know we you know rather than it be Venezuela or rather than it right. be Russia or rather than it be Canada or whether it be Mexico whatever it is we have the ability to create jobs here with 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 folks who sound like me. Uh, and I realized that you know it's a pretty thick Cajun accent. I talk about get some eyes raised when you're in Washington D.C. with this it. accent. Yeah, people would say, uh, you know, uh, in my first meeting, he would I'd hear him talking down the hall. It's like, man, I, I didn't, I, I like it. I didn't really understand the thing he said in the meeting, but I like his passion. So anyway, uh, so we, th- there's a new proposition here, and that proposition is that America is putting a value on environmental metrics,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and. And, and you know, every generation has the right to do what it needs to do and, and respect that. Uh, you know, every generation has had its share of challenges, whether it's World War II, whether it's disaster recovery, whether it's uh, recessions, depressions, every every generation has its challenges. I think a challenge of this generation is how to manage the issues of climate change. And, and, you know, again, I'm not here to, to convince people one way or the other because right. it's scientific and it's that's not my area of expertise. I am here to tell you, though, that all the polling data that I've viewed indicates that young conservatives, young conservatives are concerned about the planet, the, the health of the planet. And if they're not making any more older conservatives – then younger conservatives are going to be uh, perhaps in a position to help shape the policy. And if they are concerned about it, yeah. okay, then that's going to start showing up in, in public policymaking, right? And, and as so it should. The point is, is that, uh, you know, often the whole cliche applies here. When you get lemons, you got to make lemonade. And here we are in the Gulf of Mexico, 10 years after, 11 years after the worst environmental disaster, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Deepwater Horizon. That if the environment is going to be a metric that America is going to measure for its energy, we can be big, big winners in the Gulf of Mexico because not all barrels are created equal. When we start tearing it apart, and when you look at it again, the intensity, uh, the carbon intensity mm-hmm. of those barrels in the Gulf of Mexico, are superior. And then you add the other thing that that has an impact on climate change. The experts say is the is, is methane that is flared or vented into the atmosphere. Uh-huh. And in the Gulf of Mexico, we only flare and vent about 1.25% of our produced gas, making it the best producing province in the United States of America. So mm-hmm. As on, the opposed, matter, yeah. on the things that matter, on the things that matter... We, you know, we we, we, we we really scoring pretty good. I mean, you know, even at Brobridge High, um, you know, whether <laughs> it was, you know, we knew that English and math mattered, right? And so we make an age in those subjects. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there are other issues that we have to be concerned about, but we yeah. have this vast pipeline system, so we don't have to flare and vent. That's one of our advantages. And on the safety issue, look, no doubt we have bad days. Every industry has bad days. Every organization has bad days. But bad days don't make a bad life on this whole deal. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics, not, not my organization, but the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, puts out annual report, and based on the number of injuries and accidents per man, hour, man hours, offshore, the offshore sector of the oil and gas industry is the second safest high hazard industry in America. Second only, to the nuclear power generation industry. So, you know, again, when we think of, of things that are challenging, uh, you recall, I guess maybe, I guess it's probably going back maybe 30 years ago, um, the spaceship challenger just kind of imploding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of us, the baseline for space exploration was Neil Armstrong. Walking yeah. on the moon. Walking on the man, we and then yeah. it changed and then it became oh, we came you know, we were we were leading as a country, we were doing yeah. things, and then we had that event. It blew up. It blew uh, up
0: and it was terrible. Uh, but it blew up the
1: industry. It, it, it blew it, up. It, right. And homes. so we we paused. Yeah. You know, President Reagan paused it mm-hmm. and figured some things out. And, you know, we we back in space and we're doing some incredible things. So, you know, I, I believe that America uh, you know, has this this Entrepreneurial spirit of facing mm-hmm. those issues head on. Uh, you know, Deepwater water rising was a very very tough issue. I mean, we you know we we live here. I mean, uh, eighty seven days of 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 that event. But there's so many things that have happened since then mm-hmm. uh, that put us in a position, and we haven't had that kind of in even year that kind of event.
0: I've got a couple of questions, and also I want to thank you for clarifying the carbon intensity. I, I didn't really understand what you were talking about. Um, and how that goes with global warming. I mean, right. and I'm thinking about cows. I started thinking when you said methane, there's yeah. probably more methane released on a farm.
1: There may very well be, but... Yeah. but All that it, aside, right, it it's, just
0: it's you don't think about it as the average person that just wants to be able to fill up a tank, you know wherever you are right you want you know it. it's
1: a commodity you want you want it as cheap as you possibly can get it right well
0: yeah except unless maybe you live in lafayette where you want the oil and gas well industry. i'm saying that <laughs>
1: when you when you in the when you're in the position of a consumer yeah not in a position of a producer but yeah so, but this is the this is the deal you know we have we have a relatively few producing states and we every state's a consumer state i mean right. louisiana in itself is one of the biggest Consumption states of energy because of the industrial corridors mm-hmm. on the Mississippi and the Calcasieu rivers. Uh, so we have to be concerned about both sides. And again, when we recognize that we've had those six recessions from 1973 to 2019, we were negatively impacted by those recessions as well, right? So, you know, government doesn't set the price and it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. The market should. But more, the government can, can impact and influence the opportunity to access the resources. And look, of course, you know, many of us are concerned because the incoming administration, the current administration, is kind of, I think, looking at 100% of oil production as bad. Uh, I think that's a mistake. I don't think one size fits all in anything. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, And again... What I do believe is that there are some facts about the production that comes from the Gulf of Mexico. When you when you look at the carbon intensity, when you look at the volume of methane produced, when you look at the, va- the, the, the no trees being, uh, being destroyed to get to the resource, when you look at uh, no marine mammals and sea turtle fatalities since 2017, not all barrels are created equal. Right. And if we want to improve the quality of the planet, which I do believe we do, mm-hmm then we need to look at the facts because science is is, bi- is nonpartisan, right? And the science is saying that the Gulf of Mexico mm-hmm. has these incredible high-valued, not for the economy, but for the environment. Yes, always for the economy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, let me restate that. Yes, always for the economy. It's been good here. Right. But, but the big issue in America right now is or one of the big issues is making sure we are responding to the climate change uh, challenges And it's incredible when you take a look and don't take just my word for it. I went back and I found a 2016 report that was uh, produced by the Obama Biden administration. And it specifically said that if we did not have regular scheduled lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico, that it would force greenhouse gas emissions to go up in America because we'd have to get oil from higher carbon intensity provinces. Right. Right. Okay, so while we're working on the solutions and we're working on technologies, I'm all for it. I am absolutely have always been in a, uh, all of the above approach, and we're working on them, and, and mm-hmm. things are getting better. And you're seeing you know different forms of energy becoming more competitive. I think that's great, but we ought to recognize that if we if we don't do that in a systematic Plan way, then we're going to wreck our economy. And we see that.
0: I um, was just thinking, it's been all or nothing. You were talking about the environment. It's typically blue people and red for energy and purple economy. But with Trump, I know he was very friendly and open to the oil and gas industry because he was a businessman and not that he didn't care about the environment, I know some people think that, but he was really pro energy pro u s energy, so we could remain independent and now with Biden, it's hundred you know
2: yeah this is what was different,
0: say. but didn't a judge just rule yes yeah. could you explain that yeah, because surely. leases were not being allowed no, right. right offshore, like Correct. it was just shut down for right. for new, so, for new production so,
1: so a couple of things uh, you know I, I, I tried to avoid uh, political comments right right let, let me just say that. Um, I think uh, that th- the previous president and the current president just view the world differently in that area. Okay? And you know, folks have the right to view things and they're shaped by their own experiences. Mm-hmm. I, think th- I think President Trump recognized that a strong domestic energy policy was good for our national security, right. our economic security was good for our manufacturing. We're never going to have the cheapest labor in America. That's not who we are. Mm-hmm. But one thing we can do is have incredibly competitive energy prices that help overcome some of the things that we, you know, we have a high, high standard of living here. We, 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 don't, we don't allow people uh, to, to, to work in sweatshops. We have OSHA. We have EPA. We have a lot of different things. And a competitive advantage for America is that we have really have had good and affordable, predictable energy prices, right? Well, that doesn't happen because of good luck. That happens because people are making good decisions, right?
0: I remember being in 10th grade and uh, waiting in line like you couldn't get gas. Yeah, One yeah. of my friends, we'd all commute to school. You know, I was in Baton Rouge at the time. and I mean, she drove this little bug, a little beetle bug, mm-hmm. and there was just no gas. Well, and so, we were totally dependent absolutely. on so OPEC.
1: 1973, OPEC. Yeah, they shut uh, us you know, off. Like they it, did, right? So what happened here? What happened here from 1973 after we, we we had a goal in America that that we wanted to be energy independent, mm-hmm. right? And we've been you know working striving towards for that, and, we, and we, we we did it. We responded. We responded by you know one of the first things we did is we said we're going to make the speed limit 55. We not going to export oil. It's going to be against the law. But in rare situations, to export oil. We started changing energy, energy building codes, and a lot of different things. So we were trying to conserve, be smart on, on the demand. But then at the same time, the American entrepreneur spirit went to work and we found more and more production. It was like, oh, we're done. We're not going to have, no- have enough. Mm-hmm. It was doomsday. We had reached peak oil. And that's, then? No, the American spirit went to work. Technology. You know, Boudreaux <laughs> and Thibodeau and Jeremy and Kale went to work. And, and it's just amazing, right? Yeah. And so it's, it really is. And, and, and so that's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea that we would put ourselves in a position to count on countries to provide energy to us, countries that don't share our values— Often don't share our values. We don't like that. It's us. silly. It's silly. It's silly. They, you may, maybe some countries don't value human life as we do uh, democracy, freedom of religion, whatever it is. And, and yet history tells us that if we put ourselves in that position, and we do have an incredible rise in energy prices because perhaps we would be leveraged, then we're going to go into a recession, mm-hmm. and that you know that means people get people get laid off, and car car manufacturers struggle in a really big way. What we do here in Louisiana, and it, it, certainly in the Gulf of Mexico, we connect it to every American, because one in every six barrels of oil that's produced in America comes from the Gulf of Mexico. So we represent about 16 percent of the total uh, energy portfolio of the country, oil, oil that is. Uh, so you know, sometimes we we kind of think that you know we all kind of go into our own zip codes and our own homes and do our thing, but. The, the the union auto man auto worker in michigan mm-hmm. is connected oh yeah to the oil worker in the Gulf of Mexico. You know the or codependent. We we, we it, it really really is and mm-hmm. you know we we have some expertise here in the Gulf and we want to continue to do that for for the country and the metrics uh, the environmental metrics are uh, so strong that if policymakers look at it not as a one-size-fits-all, but look at our portfolio, they too will come to the conclusion that we need more of it, not less of it. And when we get more of it, again, there's good file economy. And yeah, getting back into the court case, so what the the... Had a
0: federal judge and yeah, New the,
1: so the Biden administration put a hold, a mm-hmm. pause mm-hmm. on what is called regularly scheduled lease sales. So typically, there's two lease sales a year. I think it's maybe say March and August, maybe March and November every year, and that's done pursuant to a five-year plan. So. What happens is that the Department of Interior promulgates a five-year leasing plan. Real big study it takes a long time to put that leasing plan together, and then they execute these two lease sales a year, right in the Gulf of Mexico, and there are others, uh, perhaps in Alaska as well. Uh, but the, the the president put that put all that on pause, uh, and a, a a group of uh, of a group, a group that had, I'm, I think several, several different states filed litigation, and that case I think was heard here in the Middle District here in, in Louisiana, and Judge said, no, you, you, the executive branch, you do not have the authority uh, under which you cited as your reasons to do it. And, of course, the response was from the Department of Interior was, uh, well, we're certainly going to follow the judge's order if that's what it takes. So we are hopeful, uh, Jan, that that those lease sales will start anew. Now, we have 2,200 existing leases in the Gulf of Mexico where folks have access to.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: But I think the greatest example to show why it's important that you continue to have new lease sales is what's going on today in America's automobile industry with this so-called chip shortage, right? So if you take an opportunity to maybe ride this weekend by automobile dealer, you'll be absolutely <laughs> shocked on how few automobiles they have, right?
0: They've had to pull their advertising sales yeah, because exactly. they, they don't have inventory. Why,
1: why have people show up when you don't have anything to say? Right. I know. And so- Isn't that a shame? Yeah, like it, it it's is.
0: Such, it's so backwards. It, it
1: is. And so we need uh, inventory to continue, uh, inventory yeah. of automobiles. We need an inventory of leases- to be able to be constantly available for companies to continue to look at it. Because, you know, at the end, if you don't have new opportunities coming in, then that ends up
0: hurting the long-term prospects. Well, Scott, I'd like to pause for a moment. There's so much more I want you to talk about. But I'd like to look back at one of my favorite guests we've had on the podcast. And it's your close friend, Senator Fred Mills. Fred was a guest on a couple years ago. And we talked about the healthcare industry and the Herculean efforts it took to get medical marijuana legalized in Louisiana. You can hear Senator Mills' interview, along with many others, over um, 220 others, at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. Great.
2: Just so many amazing stories that have come across my desk. I mean, I had a lady, her name's um, Miss Hall. She brought in her daughter, Ella Grace Hall. They testified in committee. It's all on tape. You can see it. They moved to Colorado because they couldn't get in Louisiana. She's on Charlotte's Web, it's a, it's a, a mixture in, in Colorado. She's no longer taking the 17 prescription drugs she was prescribed in Louisiana. When she was in my office, Jan, she must have had, in the 10 or 15 minutes, here, she must have had 10 or 15 seizures. They sent me three weeks later, her riding a bicycle, a five-year-old child. said. Five. The, they said the seizures are very sporadic, and they said their, their quality of life is so much better.
0: So they moved. I mean, they left. Oh, the families
2: that have moved out of Mm -hmm. state because of that, they've basically said, please let us know the minutes available. We'll move back to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. There's not consistency. State to state has different laws. And you can't transport it across state lines.
0: Right. So there's like 31 states, right, where it's now legal to have medicinal marijuana. Only nine where it's legal to have any, I guess, any type that's regulated by the state.
2: But it it, it is amazing, the underground community that is growing it and using it for medicinal purposes. One lady called me up. She said, please let me know when it's available. I said, are y'all using it? She said, I grow it in the back of my house. I press the oil. And she said, my son has Tourette's syndrome and he barely gets any more seizures. She said, but the problem is he can't get a job because he can't pass a drug test.
0: Oh, it stays in his blood.
2: So it's it's. Um, so I didn't
0: think about that. So if where where does that lead, employers?
2: Well, that's I, a good I didn't question. Think about that. That's a good question. And, I, and I've made speeches in front of insurance groups, mm-hmm. and I think they'll have to make individual disc. I think it's going to really be almost as though you were on a prescription medication, mm-hmm. and you have a prescription if this for your comes doctor. Up, you say, yeah.
0: "Well, let me let me see here's your, what I
2: have, and your, here's what I'm taking, records. and I think the decision will be made." You know, if yeah. you drive in a forklift and. Mm-hmm. You're using medical marijuana and there is some THC in it, I think there's gonna be a discussion. You know. But if
0: you have some of these health symptoms anyway, you may not want to be on a forklift. Yeah, you know, if you're exactly. really home. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Scott Angel and we're talking about the three E's, his current focus, environment, energy, and economy. And Scott, let's get some on the um, I guess on the environmental issues, I know that you're a proponent of. Today, and I didn't know this till I've got you on the show, it's National Fishing Day. So where are the up to two and a half million anglers, I read, uh, go out to the Gulf of Mexico and they they look really for the um, Rigs to Reef program. They look for oil and gas platforms for great fishing. And I guess a lot of fishers that may be listening to this or know our state know that the Rigs to Reef program has really been good for the environment it helps take care of abandoned Absolutely. platforms and all, but it's, it, it helps the environment and helps our, our fishermen.
1: It's one of those really, like, I think, commercials, if you would, mm-hmm. for our state. Uh, you know, as a kid, I, I remember the license plates in Louisiana having Sportsman's Paradise. Uh, what happens here is really amazing. We're not an either our state, we're not an either our people. We believe that we have an abundance of natural resources and that our creator has endowed us with those natural resources and gives us an opportunity to enjoy them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the Gulf of Mexico, when I take a look at the Gulf of Mexico as an energy producer and I take a look at the fishing opportunities, that's a real good example of it's not or, it's and. You can do either this or that. No, that's not who we are. It's and. Look, there's some states that are not either or states. I get it. Mm -hmm. But that's not who we are. We need America to understand that we believe that at the same time that we can produce uh, one in every six barrels of oil for, for the country, we can also provide one of the most amazing fisheries catches in the country. It's nowhere more, I think, descriptive than in Morgan City, where they have a festival, maybe the only festival in America. It's not... It's called the Shrimp and Petroleum Festival. That's the name of it. Really? <laughs> Can you imagine that we have a festival here in the heart of Acadiana mm-hmm. that celebrates a fuel, at the same time, uh, seafood. Right. All coming from the same place. And so, uh, you know, National Go Fishing Day uh, is is, you know, this kind of, promotion to maybe bring a kid fishing Mm -hmm. maybe bring a neighbor fishing you know maybe bring your elderly parents who had some great moments that brought you fishing maybe get dad in the boat i know it may be tough to get an 80 year old guy in the boat or 80 year old mom in the boat or grandma but those (laughs) smiles will be amazing right those smiles will be amazing and fishing is this incredible opportunity. And, and so what we have is we have this big old o- ocean, and there's no, really no structure in the Gulf of Mexico, right? You just got these, uh, these bottoms. And, of course, when you go out to Lake Henderson or wherever, you're going to go, you know, drop a hook next to a log because mm-hmm. there's structure there. Mm-hmm. Structure attracts small organisms. Small organisms attract small fish. Small fish attract bigger fish. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so in the Gulf of Mexico, if you don't have structures, you gotta fish. Maybe you gotta find out was there a shipwreck somewhere? Well, not a whole lot of shipwrecks. And so what ends up happening is, and we talk talking about old shipwrecks, when you, if, if, they, if you find one, there's usually gonna be 20 people there fishing it, because uh-huh. not a whole bunch. But what the platforms have done is, is, again, in addition to fueling the country and helping our economy here, they provide a basis by which organisms can attach and you begin a whole food chain. Mm-hmm. And I remember as Secretary of Natural Resources, some of the most irate calls I got is when we were taking structures out. You know, you would be like, wait, wait, I, what, what are y'all doing? Why are y'all taking your structure there out? goes and the fishing. It, 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 and it wasn't from anybody other than, a, it was somebody's honey hole. They were going there every Saturday morning, they were, you know, tearing it up and they were like, you, uh-huh. you're gonna take this away from
0: us, you know? A honey hole. Yeah, it was their honey
1: hole, right? So for, for for the for the for the American uh for, for America, we have about two and a half million anglers that that you know the honey hole is the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you take a look at uh Coastal Conservation Association here, CCA, yeah. amazing yeah. organization. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, David Cresson is executive director here in Louisiana, does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And I visit with him a lot. You know what? He shared with me recently that the number one issue that CCA members tell him about is their concern for the loss of those structures. Right? So here, a group that is focused on fisheries is saying that the number one issue that they have Mm -hmm. is that the removal of those energy uh, platforms or uh, make it more difficult for them. So again, a really good example, and I'm trying to, you know, we'll, we'll be sending out some paperwork here in the next week or so to, to let folks know, again, here in America, here mm-hmm. in Louisiana, that we think those things can coexist.
0: And it must be really hard to move a platform. That can't be an easy task.
1: Well, it's expensive. Right. It's expensive. And, and look, there we, are we obligations, and companies you know, have a duty mm-hmm. uh, to remove them when they get to end of life. But the rigs to reef program steps in there and says, "Hey, wait a minute. Maybe mm-hmm. you have the, you had the end of life with this platform, and it needs to come out. Maybe we can do something with a rigs to reef so it can continue to provide that you know that that additional right. uh, collateral
0: benefit." What's being done, or what can be done to sustain that relationship between the the coastal conservation types and the oil and gas industry? Like, is, is there? the yeah. massaging of that relationship. Yeah, or? so
1: so there's a really good relationships. You know, uh, Jack Montes at the Louisiana mm-hmm. Department of Wildlife and Fisheries does a great job, and and CCA is is you know obviously always visiting with them. Um, I know when we were at uh, when I was in Washington, sometimes and probably around January of this year, uh, we put on the internet our website. Uh, probably I guess www.bessie.gov. Uh, in incredible interactive maps mm-hmm. that allow people to see where the structures are, uh, so that so that we don't miss the, miss an opportunity to get something reefed. Uh, so there's really good relationship, but what we gotta be able to do to make sure that the relationship continues, we gotta make sure we have new leases, and the new <laughs> leases allow new new structures to go in because you know yeah. we gotta have that inventory kind of going back to mm-hmm. those the chip shortage, right?
0: I like and, that focus. Yeah, it has to. Did ki- I mention that we have to get new leases? We have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have
1: to get new leases, right? <laughs> uh, and 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 so you know we're hopeful that the court decision. Uh, and some of the things that you're reading about end up kind of uh, taking hold and that becomes the policy of the country again. And, And let me say before we move on is that this is not radical policy. Since we passed the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act in this country, and I think I'm going by say 1958, we've had presidents of different parties in a bipartisan approach recognize that those lease sales were good for two things to Mm -hmm. first to generate energy for the country and then to generate royalty income and you might be interested in knowing that many believe that the royalty income that comes to the federal treasury from offshore is the second largest source of revenue to the federal treasury only behind income taxes i think in 2019 it was like five billion dollars and Jen, one of the things that happened, I think it was in 2019, Congress passed the Great American Outdoors Act. And what that does, it takes offshore revenue and it sets it aside to fund incredible opportunities with our national parks and our, our wildlife refuges mm-hmm. and our forestry uh, programs. So it's invested so, back. It, again, just yeah. like we do in Louisiana. What do we do in Louisiana? We take some of our money from offshore royalties and we invested in coastal restoration mm-hmm. that all makes so much sense right, right. so right. anyway, it's, it, it, it matters again I said earlier today that you know the the auto worker in Michigan is connected to the oil worker in Louisiana that's true but also the folks who visit our national parks are connected to the oil worker in Louisiana too mm-hmm. because now through public policy monies are going from one to the other and it makes for a good fan experience.
0: Right. Well, to buttress your point, before we move on to another uh, few questions I had, from some of the materials you provided me, uh, I read that the government watchdog, the GAO, dropped offshore energy oversight from its series of high-risk areas. So this kind of buttresses what you're talking about, about it being lower carbon intensity. What what happened? Like, what How did that come about? Is that a long time in coming?
1: Yeah, so what happened was in 2017, actually about uh, about 60 days before my first day in Washington, Mm -hmm. the Government Accountability Office, recognized as uh, a nonpartisan, fact-based agency, every two years they issue what is called a high-risk list. And that high-risk list conveys to Congress Everything that they have looked at, that they determine, we need to keep an extra eye on this, okay? And you know, in some cases, it might be cybersecurity. In some cases, it might be enforcement of a particular area of the law. In some cases, it might be, you recall several years ago, we had major problems in this country on how we were treating our veterans and their access to healthcare. it, it's really more about the programs mm-hmm. than it is about the agency, okay? And so I got there in 2017, and what I inherited was a government accountability office report that placed oversight of offshore oil and gas program on the high-risk list. Not a list you want to wake up to every morning. Exactly, yeah. Right.
0: Uh, like a slippery floor, you just you know, not you know. good. Yeah, not
1: good. You know, yeah. in in some parts of Acadiana they would call the high risk list another kind of list, and you can figure <laughs> out what I'm talking about. But but anyway, uh, so it so I woke up every day. I woke up every day to that list. Welcome
0: to Washington. Yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Welcome welcome. I mean like y'all could have maybe somebody should have told me this before mm-hmm. I inherited this problem, right? So you know, at the end. The baseline is this is what we inherited. Now we need to work very hard to get off of it because it would be weaponized against the industry if we went through a period of three and a half or four years of service and couldn't work ourselves off of that list. Mm-hmm. I knew it would be weaponized against us. And so I was, uh, you know, what I think folks would probably say, a pretty focused uh, public servant during my time there to make certain that we were identifying those things that we needed to do, introduce a change management program, introduce the vital statistics program, priorities, follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. And then the GAO comes back in, takes a look at all that. And the GAO cited the things that we were able to get done during that period and say, okay, now, based on that, they reported to the Congress in March mm-hmm. of this year, so maybe, what, 120 days or so ago, that we're taking federal offshore oil and gas oversight off the list. list. That's a really great gift. That's a great gift to America because Mm -hmm. it's not only to the industry, but the offshore sector is more important to just this zip code. It's important to the whole country, Mm -hmm. right? And so it was a great gift to the country and it's what we get paid for. We should work to make sure those things happen. Mm -hmm. So I was excited. I was absolutely
0: excited. So I have a couple of questions and we will move on. So you were... Under the Trump administration, did you get to know him? Did you, you know, have any I, I, interaction? You know, with at him? my level, you
1: don't really have face time uh-huh. with the president. You know, uh-huh. uh, you. Uh, Where you, was your office? Like, so my office was actually about uh, four blocks from the White House.
0: Did you see all the uh, January sixth? I was not. I was not there. I was actually oh. in
1: Louisiana during
0: that time. Thank goodness. That huh? was
1: very sad and a very very disappointing yeah. moment for this country. Uh, so I lived uh, about four blocks from the White House, and then my office was an additional four blocks on the other side of the White House. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a vehicle there. You could walk. I, I walked in front of the White House twice a day. And what it was a special privilege to be able to be, you mm-hmm. know, walking there. Yeah. No, no matter whether or not you politically agree or disagree with the occupant. Oh, the institution. The idea, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. you appreciate this. So, so uh, I remember um, <laughs> I was up in D.C. for maybe, maybe four or five months before I had an opportunity maybe to come back. And, uh, and that was really difficult, but uh, so I wasn't driving. I was just walking from my apartment you know, to work and just whatever, and there's a metro there if you wanted to do yeah. something. But I was pretty, pretty much at office seven days a week. After church on Sunday, I'd just go there. I was lucky I had St. Patrick's Church right around the corner. But I remember I flew into New Orleans and it had been like four or five months since I drove and I called one of my buddies, Crip. Uh, And I said, Crip? He said, well, "Well, yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, I'm at the New Orleans Airport. He said, well, you need me to come pick you up? I said, no, I need to know, is the gas pedal on the left or the right? Because I forgot how to use it. (laughs) And of course, he he started explaining to
0: me, and I was just actually kidding. kidding, But yeah, I got got the Cajun version of how to move forward. Well, thanks for getting that in. And thank you for your service. So the last segment, as we're winding this down, I'd, I'd love for you to talk about where we are in the Acadiana region. Um, how do we move forward with a strong U.S. offshore energy program? And if you could also touch on the emerging, you know, wind sure. program and what are we going to do? I mean, theres I've, I had an economist on, Stephen Barnes. Great guy. Um, He is. Great. And he talked about this during the podcast, and I didn't realize that the current people we have on the coast, I mean, we're not only well-situated for the wind industry, but we have the, you know, the people there, the the technology, the, mobile, the manufacturing, absolutely. the fabrication, they can organize things just right. as they did for oil and gas. But would you maybe give us some hope for where we are and where yeah. we can move as a um Well, again, Canadian
1: region is this incredible region of people yeah. who just know how to get things
0: done. Entrepreneurs, Unbelievable. no doubt. Unbelievable,
1: you know. Uh, whether again it's a hurricane or it's a recession or it's energy prices. I mean, how many times has this town here in Lafayette and this whole city region been up and down and on they that pick stuff? Themselves just up just keep finding a way to win, right? Uh, so, so I don't have any doubt about the, the quality and the fabric of the effort and the enthusiasm and the spirit and the, and, you know, the entrepreneurial uh, talent here. When again, I take a look at energy, uh, you know, I, I don't have as much uh, hope for onshore as I have for offshore. Uh, I think things onshore have changed uh, a lot. Uh, companies are more and more favor favoring the shale plays. Mm-hmm. In the shale, we don't we don't have a bunch of shale opportunities here in Louisiana, other than in Northwest Louisiana in Hainesville, which is really doing. Remarkable. That's a gas play. Mm-hmm. Natural gas, we have so much natural gas in America right now. Natural gas prices have been depressed because the supply is so is so strong. We kinda have been a victim of our own success in that case. Mm-hmm. You know, natural gas are trading at $13 an MCF in 2008. It's probably hadn't looked at it lately, but it's probably three in the $3, $3.50 range right now. So if you go from 13 to $3 and be like that for a long period of time, you know, uh, farmers have to get a, a decent price for their commodities. So do oil and gas people, right? Uh, so, but offshore, I'm very, very bullish on. And we basically have uh, what we call three planning areas in the Gulf, the western planning area, the central, and the eastern. The central Gulf of Mexico is loaded Loaded with hydrocarbons. Okay. It's incredible. When you take a look at the vast Gulf of Mexico and you compare what happens Say off the coast of Texas Mm -hmm. to the coast of Louisiana it's 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 not even you know uh, our friends in Texas need it need to need to get uh, The the number two spot on that one You know, we are number one when Mm -hmm. it comes to that And a a lot of that activity in the central Gulf of Mexico is going to be serviced by Louisiana folks, right? and many of those opportunities are here in Lafayette, many of them in New Iberia, many of them in Abbeville, many of them in Morgan City, mm-hmm. right? But it's more than just that. You know, we got a really great university here that is amazing in technology and engineering. Right. We got a really strong, you know, South Louisiana Community College that has campuses everywhere. Our port system is unbelievable, and again, whether you're going to the Port of Abbeville or you go on to the Port of Iberia or Morgan City, West St. Mary is just uh, amazing. Uh, So I'm confident that for the offshore sector, if we can convince the policy makers that not all barrels are created equal, that we have superior barrels here, we have environmentally superior barrels Mm -hmm. here, we use those barrels to fund the government, second largest source of revenue to the federal treasury. Some of it is put aside to take care of green actions like the, the, our national parks. We have a really great story to tell, so I'm very bullish on the Gulf of Mexico. Now, commodity prices obviously impact those things. We have a really great pipeline system in the Gulf. We got the talent here. Mm-hmm. We're, we made so many improvements on the safety, as I said earlier, second- highest second safest high hazard industry in America doesn't mean we don't have bad days I don't want to be respectful you know that we do have bad days Uh, but past that there's another opportunity and I think we'll see that I was pleased when I was at Bessie to set up uh, our renewable energy portfolio because Bessie had jurisdiction over traditional oil and gas but also has jurisdiction over the, uh, the renewable side, it, it, by, by law, it is uh, to be uh, regulated or managed by OSHA, the workplace safety. I went to OSHA and I asked OSHA to delegate that review, the, the workplace safety mm-hmm. to, to Bessie and they agreed. And so we got that from, from OSHA. And uh, you know we, we have some decent win. Okay, I, I don't know if the wind opportunities we have to harvest, and I don't know if that's what you do with wind, but it seems like harvest is a is a is an appropriate word. Uh, we know yeah. that there's superior wind fields in the Northeast. Okay, uh, in what I mean there in the New York in the, in, in New England area, mm-hmm. there's a lot of capital that's being being put in line to be spent there to acquire leases there. We do have some wind opportunities here in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and what I mean wind opportunities, the wind doesn't blow the same way all the time across every square inch of America. Mm-hmm. So companies are going to do just like oil companies. They're going to go where yeah. the oil the hydrocarbons are already going to go where the wind is superior. And in addition to that, there's an re- opportunity for, for Louisiana on that wind side, even though the wind may not be 100% harvested here. Because the structures are going to need to be fabricated.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: they are going to need to be vessels and boats and suppliers. There's going to need to be certain skills. Those skills, in a lot of ways, are transferable by the people who work in the offshore energy industry. To work in that industry, right. so I have a lot, a lot of hope that there's going to be some French going to be spoken on some of these uh-huh. facilities in the northeast. In the northeast, well,
0: there's some, right? Ka- some Acadians. There are some. They'll, there. they'll
1: go see their cousins in yes. Maine, uh-huh. right? But, mm-hmm. but, but again, I think you're going to see opportunities there, and it's not going to be just an opportunity. They are going to be, I think, um, welcomed and encouraged because they're gonna add so much value, just like in other areas, you know, there are Cajuns that were working in the, on the North Slope in Alaska, Cajuns working in the North Sea in, in Europe. So uh, just just real smart people that know how to bring solutions. What I do see on, on the wind side is we're gonna have some opportunities in the Gulf. Uh, we, we set up the regulatory aspect to be able to handle it. Uh, One of the advantages that the Northeast has is it has a lot of dense population. So you generate electricity through, you know, a windmill. Uh And then you have to bring that electricity in onshore. And you'll do that with subsea cables. And then you have to then put it on the grid. And so in that area, you got New York. You got New Jersey, yeah. you got Philadelphia, you got D.C., I mean, just a lot of the major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. We don't have that on the Gulf Coast. You know, you got Houston and you got New yeah. Orleans, but in New, Houston is huge. I think the next census, Houston will be the third largest country in the, uh, city in the country, eclipsing in Chicago, uh, and it's a great city. I love it. But that's an advantage they have, so they generate the electricity and, and, and have a, a vast distribution center. But what we have is an incredible industrial sector
2: Mm -hmm.
1: on the Mississippi River and on the Calcasieu River that are always looking to green up their portfolio. So I see some really incredible opportunities on the wind side. It's not going to be tomorrow. But again, I think we're going to better take advantage Mm -hmm. of it. It'll be one more thing that we'll be able to say in the energy sector that we're making those contributions to the country.
0: It's such a beautiful sight. I'm a, I'll be driving out west again this summer, but my last trip I drove out to um, New Mexico and seeing those, I guess they call them turbines, but yeah. the, it's beautiful. But right. it's its hard to imagine it here. Yeah. Like you said, we just don't have the wind right. that they might have out on these you know open no doubt. plains. No doubt. But, um, right. Yeah, so I'd like to get your thoughts... Um, and this probably will be my last question, but with the rise in electric cars, from what the economist again Stephen Barnes was telling me, it's such a low percentage right now, maybe 2% of the population at the most would have an electric car. But he's thinking in the next 5 years or so. It's it's going to be a different landscape. Absolutely. What are your thoughts about that? Our state is set up, you know, to to pay for our roads, let's say, taxing gasoline. Right. I mean, if you don't if you don't um Need gasoline? You're not paying for the wear and tear on the roads. Right. I know that's not really your right. forte, well, the, but the, you've the been policy, involved. Yeah. What well,
1: the policymakers are going to have to figure a way. We're
0: going to have to pivot or well, it's, it's expand.
1: A, it's a use tax. Is yeah. what it is. It's a use tax. So mm-hmm. the idea is that the more gasoline you consume, the more wear and tear you put on the roads. That's the fair way. Mm-hmm. So for the the you know the elderly that may not use a lot of gas, they pay less. Mm-hmm. So for somebody like me that's running around. I'll pay more and that's fair. Right. And so we're going to recognize as our, and, and, and this is important because actually this is a something that I kind of stumbled on uh, back when energy prices went really high. Mm-hmm. So when energy prices go really high, so we go back to 2008, I, I, I think 2008, we were looking at maybe $4 gasoline. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when you get to a certain point, you start to experience what is called demand destruction.
0: Oh, yeah. People don't want to start the engine.
1: So, so what ends up happening, two things are going on right now, okay? And that's just we just got to understand that, that we went through some demand destruction. But even if you take the electric vehicle sides and you look only at the regular traditional vehicles, mm-hmm. the efficiency… Is so much more. Huh? So, you know, my dad might have, have drove a truck that, that got 12 miles to the gallon. And I may be driving one that gets twenty-four, so I'm putting uh, the same wear and tear on the roads, mm-hmm. but I'm contributing half, right? And and so we need to understand if you and if you take a look at the transportation trust fund dollars that go into the state right now, mm-hmm. I, I would I'm willing to, to to forecast or bet that those numbers uh, are flat or even going down because of the efficiencies, and that's good. Yeah. That's good. But as policymakers, folks are going to need to understand that we still got to find ways efficiencies to be able to build bridges you know one of the things I, I i remember uh commenting on is that you know we have this great advantage because of our navigation system we got we blessed with these rivers and you know but but when and and that gives us a navigation advantage in this country but one of the disadvantages of a lot of rivers is you got to have a lot of bridges yeah right and
0: they're crumbling
1: and and, and you know and, and they have capacity problems. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you've been across the, the Mississippi River Bridge. You've been across the Calcasieu River Bridge. You know, sooner or later, it can't take any more. Right. So every generation kind of builds a new bridge over the Mississippi River. The challenge is, will this generation build one, right? I was talking to someone uh, not too long ago who had a daughter that went to LSU. And I said, oh, that's real interesting. She lived in Lafayette. And I'm like, you know, what is it about? She just really liked the campus. I said, that's really good. I said, but she lives in Lafayette. Yeah, He said. Oh, that's she, a tough she, commute. Yeah, she, she commutes every day. I said, so that river pretty, that bridge is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, those things are challenges. And when you take a look at the fact that we have hooked our wagon as more, I think maybe 45 of the 50 states have hooked their wagon to gasoline sales being mm-hmm. the funding source. That's what we do, but we also do that in the country. We don't just do it in the states. So right now in Louisiana, you you know you buy a gallon of gas It's thirty eight cents per gallon tax. It's a high tax. Twenty cents goes to, uh, to to the state government, and it's shared. And eighteen cents goes to the federal government to take care of our federal roads like the interstate system. And mm-hmm. my God, we sure have seen some of it here uh, on Interstate Ten, right? It's been right. looks like you've been been, been at it for a while on maintenance, <laughs> but. The, no doubt that as you know things are changing we're gonna have to figure out as electric vehicles come into play is going to offer some opportunities and advantages that's one of the things that we have to deal with but it, we'll figure it out yeah we'll yeah. figure it out and yeah I do I do think that you know that's going to be a growth area and I don't think that that's that bad of a deal I really don't um, because I think It represents a balance of the three E's. Yeah, it does. And I think that we in Louisiana, if we can make the argument and the facts, uh, or not so much make the argument, but if, if policymakers in Washington view the facts and do not view that all oil and gas is bad, that we have some incredible positive environmental metrics, and we've never talked about that. We've never, you know... There was never a conversation that happened anywhere here in Lafayette at a petroleum club or over lunch or breakfast, over coffee, where somebody would say, You know what? We got some low carbon intensity barrels of production. <laughs> we never said that. Why? We never had to. Yeah. It wasn't a metric that was
0: important. That wasn't even on my radar. No, exactly. You exactly. Started talking about exactly.
1: And so when you think of that, wait a minute, that's important and we got some really good numbers here. Yeah. Well, maybe we can separate ourselves from the pack. And become that beacon here in the Gulf Coast that helps to get investment, Mm -hmm. helps stimulate, you know, drill bit dollars, puts our people to work. We build more homes here. We sell more cars. We sell more groceries. We improve our schools. We improve our roads. And we help Mother Earth. What an incredible opportunity that we have. Right.
0: So we'll see. What an incredible spokesperson! So, if people want to know more about this, do you, is this a a new company that you have? Yeah. I mean, so you're,
1: what you're I'm current... doing? Look, I've got a lot of folks that have kind of reached out to me, yeah. and so
0: I'm helping folks. How can uh, people find out more? You know, uh, you
1: that's you a really that? that's a really great question. Uh, I don't even know. Uh, you know, the
0: man the... share your email. Yeah, with I,
1: I, I, I'll tell you what I do. I, I think we I'll get something to you on that. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, but absolutely LinkedIn and all that stuff. Okay. Maybe I'll get something to you and you can you, you can you can add it to the to the conversation. I mean, you're um, just
0: back like you're just right.
1: really. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Back, I'm, so. I'm kind of like was like reintroducing myself to my my children. Like, yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm your father, you know, because I didn't have the luxury of being back here a bunch. Okay, I really didn't. Uh, That's a long time. Yeah, and you know, it was, it was, it was a, it's a sacrifice. I mean, Diane is an incredible wife and married to my best friend, just an incredible partner. I could never, I could look the whole world over and never find anybody that's uh, more perfect for me. And you know, we got our five children, and of course, they're getting older and they're doing their own thing and having their own kids. We got seven grandkids, and and so you know, we got a full plate, and it's amazing. But when you're away for so long and you come back, you got some catching up to do. (laughs) And you know, you 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 asked in the earlier segment, do I occasionally run into my good friend Fred Mills? And <laughs> and, and and I don't I don't see Fred as much. I gotta I gotta fix that. I gotta fix that uh, because I mean we only live a mile down the road. And you're uh, such
0: a funny dude. Well, like, when you're together, just, it's
1: he, unbelievable. Well, it's, it, Fred makes everybody better.
0: Uh, he does. He, he but makes so everybody. You. He makes y'all are, everybody better. you are so good.
1: Some, somebody said. I think uh, Nancy Landry said it best. Uh, state representative Nancy Landry, former state representative, she said, "He's there's no way somebody can be always that happy. He must be chemically happy. And I'm like, well, he—I know he don't abuse drugs. If mm-hmm. you think, it's no, she said, no, I think his his whole whatever, whatever brain serotonin, whatever is coming out yeah. is just is better than ours. So anyway, the good Lord spent a little bit more time on Fred than he did on me, and I'm very fortunate to have him as my friend. But yeah, I'm, I have some I have some catching up to do.
0: Yeah, well, Scott and Jill, thank you for taking time today to explain. Really, what, some things most of us don't know much about, but I'm assuming we'll be hearing more and more about this. So yeah. I want to encourage people to, to think about this, the three E's, environment, energy, and economy, and right. how Louisiana can play a very large role yeah. in our nation's
1: Absolutely. And, and look, I just think that this is one of those issues yeah. that in a very divided country, if we look at the facts, I think we can come together and say, the facts say, not my facts, Not anybody else's facts, but just those that are uh, generally accepted as the facts put out by the government. The Gulf of Mexico is an incredible province for this country. We need more Gulf of Mexico oil, not less, while we are looking for renewables and alternatives
0: Mm -hmm. uh, to be a bigger part of the portfolio. So it's a great opportunity. That's a great sum of our interview. Thank you. I'd like to thank our sponsors before we close out. Uh, First of all... Iberia Bank, now a division of First Horizon, thank you for your generosity in supporting our show, as well as Oshner, Lafayette General, and of course, Raider and Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. Thank you all for making this show go on. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, I'm Jan Swift. Thank you so much for listening.